All right, well, um, welcome everybody to uh, another episode of Coach's Corner. And uh, probably our biggest and best yet, we've got the heavy hitters on tonight. Ah, there we go. Gotcha. Oh, he's on. Sorry, so, man. Yes. No, you're fine. So, yeah, we've got the two, the two heavy hitters on tonight, and we're going to be talking all things bodybuilding and comp prep. Uh, and I did do some stories online, and I had a heap of people message me a ton of questions. Um, but just for the, the time, I've picked out some of the good ones. And then, guys, what I'll ask you is if you've got anything that you want to ask any of us, just type it in the chat box at the bottom, and we'll endeavor to get to it towards the end. Um, but for now, I'm just going to go through and, uh, and go through the ones that I thought were fantastic. So um, what, what I might do, I might just get you both to introduce yourself. Um, and then from there, what we'll do is just because the two of you at the moment are kind of at, on opposite worlds in terms of where you're at with your fitness journey, one peak in off-season, I saw, um, Scott, your full day of reading the other day, which, is, which was massive, man. And, and that's probably Trimboli's whole week of carbs at the moment. So, <laughs> so, so it, it, it just shows how, uh, how far apart you can be. But maybe, MT, do you want to go first? Um, actually, I can't see you guys. It says connecting on my end. Can you see me? Yeah, man. Yeah. In- interesting. I can't see anything, see but uh, I can talk into a blank camera. That's fine. Well, well, we can see you. You're good. Okay. That's weird. Maybe I'll try to come out and rejoin. We'll see what happens. Let me have a look. You can go first, Scotty. What's up, mate? You're, oh, you want me to go first? Okay, no drama. Yeah, you go first, yeah. yeah, cool. So uh, my name's Scott Morell. So obviously I'm the owner uh, of Powerhouse Strength Conditioning. So I run a strength and conditioning um, gym in Montmorency, but we also do uh, quite a lot of uh, online coaching, so in the physique uh, space, so similar to yourself and to Michael. Um, but yeah, I've been in the industry for oh, 15 years now, so he's back. Good. Got Just can see everything. Good. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I work with predominantly uh, physique-based athletes um, at the moment, but I do have a couple of just gen pop-based um, people that I work with who buy online that obviously want to improve aesthetics, you know, get stronger, um, change composition, etc. But in a nutshell, man, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and for those that don't know, so Scott obviously coached me for my last comp. Uh, and as an athlete, Scott, fitness and physique pro. Yeah, so so that was me on a professional level. So as, as an athlete, yeah, so I compete uh, within the natural bodybuilding realm. So I compete with ICN. And uh, I'm an ICN uh, men's fitness pro and an ICN men's physique pro. So, and as you said before, currently very deep uh, in the off season um, at the very different end that uh, MT is currently in. So, nah, it's good. And we're, we're, we're going to come back to Scotty's off season in just a moment, but we'll flip over to MT. And for those that uh, don't know, which I'd be surprised at anyone that doesn't, but. Uh, yep. So, hey everyone, Michael Trimboli. Um, been. Full-time coaching since the start of 2017, end of 2016, start of tw- end of uh, 2017. Uh, predominantly coaching female athletes, uh, natural female athletes, uh, and it's it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, every day is a is a challenge, but is also definitely a reward. And um, I absolutely love this sport. I love um, speaking to like-minded people, meeting like-minded people, and also trying to grow this sport and better this sport any way we possibly can. So I love the fact that we're doing this and we're having a chat and uh, hopefully people get a lot out of it. Uh, for myself, competitively, I haven't competed since 2011. Uh, so it's been a long time. Jumping on stage, season B this year. Just, uh, just a few years. 
Yeah, just a while. Let me just give you some context. So back then, there was no posing coaches. There was no tanners. There was no comp prep coaches. Everything you had to do was you had to do it yourself. Uh, you went on bodybuilding.com forums. You listened to, you looked at articles. You talked to people at the gym, and you just kind of figured it out as, as you went. So uh, it's changed a little bit since I was uh, since I competed. You know, back then, let's talk about female categories, for instance. Uh, back then, there was one female category in a show. It was called models, and there was eight people in a lineup. Uh, now we can tell it's a hell of a lot different now, where f females predominantly um, are within the shows over males. So um, it's changed a hell of a lot, and uh, I cannot wait to jump on stage and uh, yeah. bring my best. Yeah, well, we're definitely pumped, man. Uh, obviously, it's been a long time, and I've uh, I've seen the photos <clears throat> from back in the day. So very keen to see, like, what what is the M the MT of ten years later? With all that extra muscle tissue, two point yeah. oh, yeah, two point oh, so really, uh, very good. exciting. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do because I actually had a couple of people ask was just in relation, Scott, to your off season, um, mm -hmm. and like guys, we probably should preface this by saying like, you know, whatever Scott's eating in terms of his nutritional intake is obviously very specific to him, and he's built up to this. And he, I'll get you to give us a little bit of insight as to how long it's taken you throughout your off season to get to the point you're at now, and then maybe tell us exactly. The, the total split macros and everything. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, firstly, as you alluded to, I don't know why, there, there seems to be just within natural bodybuilding, there's almost like an obsession around how much people eat and in the off-season, you know, how much you can eat to put on size and what you're dieting on and how much you can get away with whilst you, uh, you know, you're dieting when really that, you know, what I eat or what, you know, you see, Michael Trimboli eats versus Michael Galanti, it's going to be so different because we're just different human beings. So, my intakes compared to someone else's, obviously, you know, they're not even going to be in, in, in the same comparison. But essentially, I will, I will say that I am probably a little bit gifted metabolically in terms of just the way I've always been in terms of being able to um, tolerate eating, you know, quite a lot of food and, and not necessarily gaining quite a lot of, of body composition. I would say in terms of a skeletal structure, I'm probably more of a ecto to mesomorph as opposed to, you know, say someone's an endomorph a bit bigger, they're going to be able to store composition perhaps a little bit easier but um really I, I guess it goes through stages so for example when i first came out of contest prep for those who don't know i competed uh during 2020 at the end of the pandemic and towards the back end of that that was pretty much close to 40 weeks of uh of dieting i was pretty much sitting at maintenance for like the last eight weeks of prep because i was ready pretty early and that was, I think it was probably sitting around the low 3000s, um, to, to be honest. And then from there, obviously, I, I, was, I was pretty lean uh, for, for, that, for that show. And so straight away, as, as we tend to do now with leaner athletes, I employed a recovery diet. So I wanted to gain some initial fat mass virtually straight away because as a human being, I was, I was pretty much shot. So that meant taking my food up pretty high pretty quickly to try and um, and get a response to put some fat mass on straight away to, to try and attenuate some of the, the adaptations that come obviously with, you know, a prolonged dieting period. And I think that was already like 4,200. And then after a week, I'd like stagnated. So had to push more and more and more in. And then when you get to a point where it was probably, probably around about May, to be honest, where I'd probably hit the ceiling where this is about five months after my prep, maybe even six months where I actually felt 100% um, normal again. And that might sound a bit strange to some people but when you go sort of really far down the rabbit hole sometimes it does take quite a while to um to come out the other side and then i think that's settled probably around the 
low 5,000 mark. And then from there, I continued to push my growth phase up until about November last year, where I actually had to run a, a mini cart potentially a little bit earlier than I'd planned. And that was, I had a wedding and the suit fitting I had done three months prior, there was no way to make changes in it. <laughs> about four <laughs> weeks before the wedding. Yeah, I couldn't get my wedding pants on. And my, <laughs> my wife said, Scott, you can't wear them. So we had to, to clean things up for a little bit. But I think the, the the ceiling on how high it went was maybe like low to mid 5,000s. And at the moment, it's hovering around about 4,800. But uh, the last two weeks, I've, I've had a weight plateau. I've just been hovering in that mid 98 range. So unfortunately, it's probably going to mean I'm going to have to make another push probably uh, end of the week. Yeah. And fair to say, like at this point, you're reasonably uncomfortable with, with the amount of food yeah. or not yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, getting getting pretty close. Like it's funny when you're in prep, like Trimboli is probably sitting there now thinking like, Man, I would do anything and everything to be able to delete four thousand calories, you know, potentially in two days rather than just in, you know, in in an entire week. But it's like it does get to the point where when you do address like when you come out of prep and your yeah, uh, hunger signaling goes back to normal, you just don't have any desire to eat. So without doubt, I wake up at you know, quarter to five, my first meal goes down at quarter past five and it's 1,200 calories. The last thing I want to do is uh, is, is eat that. But it's one of things where, yeah, you've got, you got to force feed. It's very rarely that I'll be like, I'm really, really hungry and I, and, uh, and, I, and I want to eat. But unfortunately, that's just a byproduct of being on the other side of the fence when you're in the off season. If you want to, you know, accrue new tissue, then you, you need to put yourself in a, in a positive energetic environment, which means, unfortunately, sometimes force feeding and that's obviously going to be different for everyone so for me unfortunately it means my food does have to get uh get quite high versus someone else might be able to get away with like only having to push up to 3200 calories which again they might think i wish i could eat more but there's pros and cons to both of it definitely yeah and i think there's i've got a question people are... classic yeah, question to scott. hey yeah, you know how you said um uh, was it five six months after comp you started to feel normal again what was your body weight and were you a different composition? Like, like when did you find, is there like a sweet spot where your body started to feel normal again? Yeah, I think, well, probably it's hard to tell as well because we actually had a baby. My wife and I had a baby in October, like smack bang, four weeks out from the show. So like I was cooked from being, you know, my glutes were in from about eight weeks out from when I actually competed like fully. So I was super shredded and I was also super sleep deprived as well. So that probably didn't really help um, the cause. So coming out of prep, I felt pretty sucky probably until maybe like January, I started to feel a bit better when I had maybe four or five kilos um, of fat mass on me. But stage weight wise, I got down to like, I think I was, I think I had, I had this conversation with you um, a little mm. while ago, MT. I think it, off the top of my head, I think it was like, Maybe like fasted weights of like 80, I think, or I think maybe a couple of times one had like a, a 79.7, but at my very lowest, I was like hovering around the 80 kilogram range. And it was probably not really until I got up to maybe, I'm going to say probably about 10, 12% above stage weight that I really start. Like you obviously feel better when you're eating a little bit more and obviously you're training, but it wasn't truly until like probably close to 90 kilos that I was like, you, you know, you think you feel good at like 85, 86, and then you start to see linear progression in the gym, like lifts going back to where they were and just your overall, you know, potentially demeanor, like you probably come across as being a little bit more happier than when you're at the back end of prep, you tend to drag your feet a bit, you know, 
colours don't yeah. quite seem as vibrant. You know what it's like. You, yeah, you know, I think the, you, I think the biggest one that, that you raised was um, around that hunger signaling. I think that's the thing mm-hmm. that's you know for me. I'm about eight weeks mm-hmm. post show has taken the the longest to recover. I still feel like I could eat all the time. Yeah, and we actually had that conversation so, the other day where you're like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm pretty good and I'm there. But when we actually looked at some of your your hunger rating columns, so we we for those that are watching, we. We track Michael's um, satiety and his hunger in, in a column, so that gives us an idea of, you know, whether the, those hormones are actually signalling correctly. And so, whilst yes, he feels like he's kind of satiated, but his hunger column is still quite high. That tells us that you know his endocrinology hasn't really returned to baseline where it was when you started preparation, or say four weeks in, where you know you could look at. I don't know, a bowl of pasta and be like, yeah, I could eat it. Or honestly, I don't really feel like eating that. So, and, and that's one of those things that there's no magic number for that. It's just time and everyone's going to be different. Yeah, definitely. So guys, what, what we're going to do is I'm just going to read out some of the topics that I'm going to ask um, the boys about. And then, as I said at the start, anyone that wants to ask anything else, just throw it in the chat box at the bottom uh, and we'll do our best to get to it. But one of the things I wanted to go through, I'll give you the list. I wanted to talk through um, the mm-hmm. ideal length of prep and why think that is the best uh, length of time for a prep. And I know that there's no perfect scenario, but I'm sure you've got some parameters that you generally use. Uh, Refeeds, I want both your opinions on refeeds, whether you use them, what your thoughts are, and just talking about how you set up your your diets when you set a prep up um, in terms of the phases and stuff. So so if if you don't mind, we'll start with the ideal length of prep. Um, MT, have you got a, a sort of specific number that you use every time or do you just base it on you know, the, the client's individual appearance at the time? Yeah, both, to be honest. Um, you know, because of we're predominantly females, um, you know, we have to really decide what category they're going to do first to find out their level of conditioning, what they need to look like on stage, see where they're at now, and then kind of decide how long their prep should be. So, like, for instance, if someone in the off-season comfortably stays at a lower level, level of body fat than the average person and they've only got to do a bikini division, maybe the prep's only 16, 20 weeks, right? But if um, if someone's a little bit heavier in the off-season, naturally they hold on to a little bit more body fat and they've got to go all the way down to fitness, which is a lot leaner, it could be 26, 28 weeks. Um, we try to give ourselves more time so we can take a slower, steady approach and uh, overcome any plateaus along the way. But that's kind of the band that I kind of sit in. I'm going to sit in, in between that 16 to 26, just to give it, if you wanted to have a number. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, like I said, very generalised, but like at least a, yeah. a ballpark of, you know, that we're, we're not really speaking to anyone as coaches having a first consult these days, talking about a 12-week prep. Ever. Oh, no, 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 no. And you guys are probably the same, like you want to work with someone a lot before prep starts. Uh, to make sure that metabolism's in a good position. Obviously, their physique from a muscularity proportion symmetry perspective is all pretty much on point before you start a prep because prep is just basically a long fat loss phase. You can't guarantee you're going to be gaining a lot of muscle or making a lot of shape change during that time. So you want to make sure that uh, everything is set up, ready to go, so that your body will outlast that um, that extended fat loss phase. So I think... um, you know, the length of prep is obviously going to dictate someone's metabolism too. Um, you know, if someone doesn't have the best metabolism, it might have be a more of a slower, steadier approach along that way. So I think having more time is always going to be better. One thing that I learned last year, which was a really, really good learning experience, was because shows in Season B were pushed out from like 
September, October to December, allowing people to eat up during that time and having, having I don't even want to call it a diet break. It's more like reversing them slightly and then <coughs> dieting them uh, down longer. Yeah, back again. I, yep. I, I found that just like they could diet on higher calories, they, uh, they got leaner than probably what they could have prior to that. Um, and the mental that, break as well? Yeah, mental break. They actually made, you would see some shape changes and maybe some gains during that like little reverse time when we knew the shows were going to be pushed out. So always more time is better. It doesn't mean that if you say to someone you're going to have a 30-week 30, 30 prep that it's just going to be 30 weeks of hell <laughs> and dieting the whole time. There's yeah. probably most likely going to be breaks along the way and a, a, a slow approach or even an undulating approach. So uh, that's yep. kind of my high-level view of you know, the length of the prep. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, like like I said, a general question. And both Michael and Scott have now both prepped me, so I already know Scott's answer. But Scott, I'll get you to run through it yourself. Yeah, so <clears throat> kind of similar to to what Michael said. It, I think it really just depends, firstly, on the individual, but also on, on the category. I, I mean, my I, I typically well, I don't just work with males. I work with probably a mixed blend, but it's probably sixty percent male, forty percent female, uh, maybe a little bit higher in the male column now, but. <clears throat> having advantage of, as you just alluded to, time. So it's very rare that I'll work with anyone. They'll come to me at 20 weeks out and say, oh, I want to do a contest prep. Nearly everyone that's about to sh do a show, like all my season B guys now, I've been working with for you know an, a, a number amount of, of time. And I think it's so important because not only, yeah, you can get their metabolic capacity in order, but I think as well, when you start a prep, especially if it's your first time, it's important to have a period where you just sort of encompassing all of the habitual things that come with bodybuilding. So, for example, you might think that you train hard and then, you know, you've got Michael Galanti or Michael Trimboli doing your programming and then you come out after a week and you're like, well, I thought I was training hard and now I actually know what training hard is. Or I thought I was, you know, equating enough volume and, and obviously now I understand what that, you know, what that actually looks like. So I think from that aspect of it, it's good because you can kind of embed certain habits but also sim just basic protocols like for a lot of people weighing their food can be like whoa what are you doing whereas for us three you probably don't put anything on your plate that hasn't been weighed in order to be able to measure that so for the average joe they're things that they need to learn and encompass and it also you get some of those teething problems out of the way earlier and it's better to do that when there's no consequences or recoil on the other side and then i think the other thing as well is <clears throat> you, you sort of get a bit of an idea how the individual works or how they respond. So if you're working with females, you know, when they get their cycle, what typically tends to happen with that? So that, for example, when you're in a prep um, and then out of nowhere, you might get this random increase. And if you haven't worked with this athlete before and you don't understand that, uh, or you might not be aware that when they typically, or pre-menstrual, when they're going to get their period, that their weight um, tends to shoot up because they're holding more water. And then you panic and you make an unnecessary adjustment. And obviously they pay the price for that, which means that later you pay the price for that. Um, all those things sort of come into it. So I think time is really, really important. But typically, I would say for guys, it's probably going to be usually around the 28 week to 20, sometimes 22. It depends. Like, as you know, MG, like I like to run a, a pre-prep phase prior and leading into the prep so that we can actually clean up some of that um, initial fat mass earlier so that obviously if we reduce the net amount that needs to be lost in the prep, it means that we can go hard at the start and obviously get rid of, you know, quite a decent portion of it. And then we've yeah. got more time to go slower uh, at the end because as a physique <laughs> athlete, obviously there's a maximal, there's a ceiling on how much body fat we can actually liberate per unit of energy per unit of time. So 
at the back end, you need to factor that in that you actually need to spend more time at maintenance. You should be doing ideally less cardio at the back end in order to bring in, you know, the best possible physique. Because if you're having to grind all the way to the finish, the likelihood is that you're probably going to sacrifice a, a bit of lean muscle tissue um, as a byproduct. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great answer. So I think like the message being that you know, the approach is pretty consistent. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. athlete dependent, but longer preps tend to be the way that we all go. Um, great answers from both of you. The, the two things we've probably got the most questions about, um, one being refeeds. Do you guys use them? What, what's their benefit? And the other one, which <clears throat> always comes up when refeeds come up, is is it a refeed or is it a cheat meal or a cheat day? <laughs> Um, so I know we've all got pretty much the same opinion, but I'll, I'll get you two to break that down. Maybe MT, you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, like, I don't, I don't quite like using this at the time, but it's different for everyone. Uh, there's some people that I will implement refeeds and some people I won't. Sometimes just habitually people like it that way. So they like it to, you know, have some lower days, have some higher days. That's just like how they like to structure their week and to structure their meals. And that's how they like to eat. Fine. Um, some people just want one set of calories and macros and that just makes it easy for them. They don't need to worry about anything. So some people have different preferences regardless of w- what may be the, the best approach physiologically. Um, so I think you need to understand what someone's preference is first. Uh, but sometimes we do things that maybe aren't, of your preference, preference so that we can uh, get the best result we, we want. Um, I tend to use them and think of them as a tool to use when you're hitting plateaus or where some, when you think someone needs a break. So I'll give you an example. If, uh, if you're bringing someone's calories and macros down throughout the prep and you're thinking to yourself, they're probably they're starting to plateau out and they're feeling really miserable, is it just them being a sook or do, do you think actually they need a little bit more food just to maybe, you know, um, stimulate them a little bit more so that then when they go back on those, uh, lo- that lower cows, it things just start to fire and start to fall off. So I had like to use them for that reason there. Um, and I also like to, and, I, and they're not a cheat. They're just higher calorie or carbohydrate days. Yeah. Uh, so they're all still measured, <clears throat> prepared by them. Um, yep. So I like to use them for that purpose too, to yep. to break to break through a plateau, um, or to to use them as a, a little bit of I say okay you're finding it pretty hard, um, you're digging pretty deep, and I think you need a little bit of a refresher because yep. um, things are getting a bit tough and the bodies are getting a little bit tired. So it's, I use yep. it as a break in the way too. Yeah. Yep. So there's no there's no set period that you would ever bring that in. Based on athlete performance, these type of signs. Yes, yeah, definitely I would. I'll be looking at all that kind of stuff too, for sure. But I never plan them in advance. So I'd never say, okay, for two weeks you're going to do no refeeds and then in the third week you will and in two weeks you won't. Like I never have them set out in advance. It's normally as we go and as we do check-ins and as as, as we're adjusting and as we're getting all that feedback from the client, then we make that decision to be like, I think it's the time that we need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I said we set it up from the start because that's actually how they like to eat. But if we haven't set it up from the start that way, um, then, yeah, we would be reviewing we go throughout the prep and then implement them when we think they're necessary, not plan them in advance. Yeah. See, on the flip side to that, I think both Scott and I uh, 
tend to pre-plan them, but like it's always indicative. Um, but Scott, you, you, you tend to give a pretty good timeline as to like when <clears throat> coming in, if everything is on track as it should be in terms of, you know, your metrics for rate of loss and these types of things. Yeah, so I think, and this probably comes back to having a, a strength and conditioning exercise science background where you tend to be very periodic in like how you map everything out from, you know, longitudinally in that sense. So at the start of my timeline, I'll normally have, I'll normally have worked out, <clears throat> obviously within probably, it's normally within probably a kilo, how much fat mass I think the athlete needs to shift. And so based on that, I'll then look at our timeline. And so if it's more than say like 15 kilos, if it's a guy, <clears throat> I'm probably like, well, we either didn't really do our pre-prep phase properly or we're probably a little bit too soft or if it's 16 kilos because you're talking about unless you're going to go down a prep of 32, 34 weeks then for sure. But essentially, <clears throat> as you know, uh, MG, I like to give a, a little bit of a timeline more so for the athletes so they have a little bit of an insight in terms of what they can expect along the road and how we're going to set it up. Now, having said that, there's always going to be an element of auto-regulation. So typically for the first it's normally going to be eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Um, it'll be a linear dieting approach. And so they'll have a baseline set of intakes that um, that they follow. And normally the nutrition, um, and again, as you know, I'm not that I'm against flexible dieting, but I'm a big advocate of following a structured meal plan um, during the contest prep, simply because I think if you can keep all of your variables consistent, it means that our scale weight data is going to have more correlative power to body composition change. Because if we're eating, you know, potatoes, two kilos of Christmas one day, and the next day I have half a bag of lollies in my pre-training meal, and I'm like, oh, man, I've got no carbohydrates left, so I'm going to have a tuna salad, then it can give some misleading data. So I think, and also just from a simplistic um, perspective. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, I'll normally map all of that out, and then it will typically be from like week eight, <clears throat> then onwards it might be we'll aim to refeed one to two times a week, if that permits. Now, it's also important for people to understand that when we say a refeed, it's not, oh, we're going to do a cheat meal. We're going to go to McDonald's and have anything that's untracked. All we're doing is eating the same foods, but perhaps we're going to throw in Up more. Much, yeah. and, and typically, it'll be it'll be carbohydrate because that's obviously um, the body's uh, preferred source of energy. But the other reason is because as we tend to get leaner, and again, as I alluded to before, that amount of fat mass that we have, the gap tends to close. And so, if you're constantly digging and digging and digging, you have to be willing to understand that the recoil is you're going to sacrifice some lean tissue um, along the way. And our goal is always to get as lean as possible whilst retaining all of our muscle, which is never going to happen 100%, but the more that we can retain, uh, the better. And <clears throat> the best way to retain uh, muscle tissue in the contest prep is how you go about it in the gym. So if your training performance is lagging, and like um, MT said before, if you've got someone that's really just not really getting it done in the gym and maybe they've just been dug a little bit too much, perhaps putting in a, a couple of uh, refeeds, whether it's one day or two day, perhaps that can, you know, top up muscle glycogen and then you yield some good training performance out of it. It, it really just depends. But typically from eight week onwards, if, if it permits within the timeline, um, the plan would normally be one to two. But having said that, there might be times where we're ahead of schedule and then we need to perhaps um, slow things down. And then there's times where, you know, you perhaps might have planned to refeed, but that option isn't there if we want to allow, you know, enough time at the back end. And your refeed yeah. <laughs> um, intakes are always going to change because, as we know, your, your maintenance calories at the start of prep are not going to be yeah. where they are at the end. So, obviously, that number is constantly changing. Um, so, sure. yeah. And I think um, 
we tend to incorporate them when we have these refeeds or increases around training times, pre and post? Yeah, for sure. So typically, we'll do, and I'll normally deposit or, or I'll um, program in a refeed. Like, let's say that typically, I think for you, man, you're, when we would put them in, even though you were, you were pretty much eating a maintenance at the back end anyway, but your bigger days were Friday, I think, and Saturday, where you had EB push, EB pull. So, you know, you had a squat variation on one day and, and obviously some pressing and then a deadly oh, variation and, and some heavy pulling, you know, don't want to hip hinge. So it would make more sense for us to top you up um, over that Friday, Saturday, because obviously we're going to see hopefully an increase in training performance due to an increase, obviously, in uh, muscle glycogen. But also we're going to see an increase in, in recovery. And if you can train hard, recover really well, and that's something that obviously, you know, is a negative when you're in a prep, you're in a deficit, it's hard to, to recover. But the other really important piece of recovery, if not the most, is obviously your sleep. And I think everyone can relate to, hopefully you're not quite there just yet, man, um, in your prep where hunger has you wide awake at like 4 a.m. And unfortunately for a lot of us, it's just one of those things that we all, you know, embrace. But the advantage of perhaps you're eating an extra 100 grams of carbohydrates, you go to sleep with a full belly full, you know, worth of food and you get eight or nine hours, the difference that that makes in terms of your body's recovery and also your ability to continue yeah, to liberate fat is ridiculous. Someone that sleeps six hours a night in prep, um, someone that's sleeping eight hours, the amount of fat mass that you're going to be able to burn for the person who sleeps more is is greater. And it, I actually thought of you the other day and I was having this conversation with one of my athletes in prep. Now, I remember you always, in your check-ins, you would always have a set day and it was always after your 10 or 11 hour sleep where Always. we both knew Sunday. that you were waking up, you knew we were waking up with a new weekly low, 100% every Always. single time. Like 16 weeks in a row. Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. And that, that's what I mean. And so it's that sort of feedback. And also you knew you could have had a sucky few days and perhaps you didn't get any relief on the scale, but you're like, I know 100% I'm going to train hard on a Saturday. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm likely going to have a refeed. And I also know that I'm going to wake up the next day after 10 hours sleep. I'll feel amazing and I'll have a new little weight. And that just sort of rolls me into the next week. Sunday was always my collection day. That's when I jumped on in the morning and I knew that was the week's worth of work I was going to see it at that point in time. On that, on that about the sleep and the hunger, so I haven't hit that point yet, but one thing, um, I started to feel it at the start. So what I did from, you know, the probably second or third week in is like, I'm going to have a pretty decent meal before I go to bed. So I have a meal... But I try to, like, if I know I'm going to go to bed at a certain time, I will delay that meal as long as I can. I'll sometimes just eat it, like, in my bedroom and then just put it down and go to sleep. Go to so sleep. that I am full and I can get a good eight hours because the last thing right. I want to do is to, is to wake up because I'm hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, MT, just to touch on your prep again, I think at this point in time, something like 13 or 14 kilos, roughly, in about the yeah. same amount of weeks, something like that. Yeah. And I think we were talking the other day and you mentioned that the hunger hasn't quite hit you hard just yet. No, not at all. No, I feel really good. Uh, hunger hasn't hit me, but I think I was saying to Scotty the other week, like I'm not a food-focused person. Like I could not care less, to be honest. Um, I'll just tick the boxes and eat and I'm pretty happy just to go about my way and not really stress about the fact that I'm missing out on <clears throat> X and Y food. I, I just don't care. I think, I think it gets to the point where it's not about the missing out. It turns into the just the fatigue, right? Like, it's just not yeah. enough. It's never enough. The meal size is never adequate. Um, I think that's when the, when it really starts to get tough. But nice to hear that you haven't hit that yet, man, because you've still got a bit nah. of time. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You, you know when you start having a Coke Zero before your meal and you have another one after your meal? But at the end of the day, you're in a prolonged period of energy deprivation. So, and again, you could be eating 1,600 calories at the when you're in your digging phases and you could have someone that's eating 3,000. It feels just as shit for both parties yeah. when you're at a, cer- a certain for composition sure. level because it's, it's got nothing to do... You, Realistically, you probably are, if you're eating whatever, you, you can satiate yourself by eating 500 grams of vegetable and whatever, but you'll still be able to eat more food because that hunger signaling is just completely in the toilet. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the other things I'd love to touch on, and then we might open it up to questions at the bottom, and we've already got a few, but just one thing that I've got a lot of inquiry about and questions is what you both <clears> use as, say, your peak week protocol or strategy, and I know, again, it's always athlete dependent, so it's really hard to answer a question exactly, but, um, you know, do you front load, do you back load? Have you got a, a, a go-to that you use every time for most of your clients? Do you want, you want me to go, or? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, again, as you said, it will typically be individual dependent, but firstly, I think too many people make silly mistakes in a peak week simply because well firstly peak week isn't a magic week where all the stars align and all of a sudden you are you know you're perhaps four shredders over stage you know you water manipulate you take some some salt and all of a sudden voila you look awesome so <clears throat> i think the key is making sure that your your conditioning is already there but typically ideally i like to have run trial peak weeks leading into it so for example we would normally you know, and again, looking at previous data, whether you respond better um, on two days of back-to-back feeding, everyone's going to be different. Obviously, at the back end, our nutrient partitioning as naturals is never going to be wonderful. So some people can tolerate, like I'm someone that can, can take in six, 700 grams of carbohydrate and still wake up flat and need to push in 800 versus some people, you know, everything works in slow motion. You push in 250 and it's like, you know, they've, they've almost spilled over. So, but typically yeah. I'll normally just slowly load. So we'll normally run, you know, if, if it's guys, maybe a, a two day, when I say depletion, it's really just two back, two low days. And then we'd perhaps go two down, two up, one down, um, and then one up and then just assess. But essentially it's really going to depend on the look. Like, I mean, again, as you know, we're in peak week, like with you, Michael, we were on your carb up days, you were sending photos. How do you look after meal two? How do you look after meal three? How did you look in your workout? How was your pump? How did, how did your photos look afterwards? So we, you're just constantly assessing the look. So you can have all the greatest plans in the world. But yeah. if, if we look at you on a Thursday and we're like, you know what? You look exactly as you need to. We don't need to push any more in. We just need to hold that look. And that's what we'll do. But if we have the, yeah. the ability that, you know, we can you know potentially push a little bit more, then obviously... Um, that we will Um, and one thing I will say and I know that all three of us are on the same page with this one thing that we never ever ever do if anyone that's that's watching and for some reason you'll always get one or two that still despite there being quite good information out there now there'll still be people that play around with their their water manipulation and they'll play around with you know with sodium and I, I think the biggest thing for me is just keeping all your variables really consistent so Water doesn't really change other than on the days where I'm pushing in more carbohydrate, I'll typically maybe push in an extra half a litre of water just to help obviously shuttle that um, carbohydrate in. But otherwise, you know, we're hydrated on the day. um, And then we, in terms of pushing in sodium, we don't do anything um, outside the scope other than we'll we'll normally use a couple of salt tablets um, just to... Just just for the the easier to be 
But I think what yeah, which, and that's literally 20, 20 minutes out. That's right. It's amazing what those little 600 milligram tablets can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think but the, all, all the work um, prior has been done. So it's not like they are the magic solution. That's just like the, the sprinkles on the Sunday. Yeah. Do you think, um, Michael touched on before where, you know, if you've had a long off season with this client, you've probably got a little bit more data coming into peak week <laughs> than someone you've just started for your first prep. Yeah, I think so. That's an advantage of how high that ceiling is. Yeah, you, you know roughly where it is, but I think as well, sometimes that can drastically change too because their off-season intakes, what they can tolerate, you know, at 96, 97 kilos versus if they're 76, 77 kilos are going to be different. But typically, your refeed intakes, you know, say five, four or five weeks out um, from their first show, that you know that they should be at maintenance calories. So refeed is not designed to take you above, um, even though sometimes you may wake up heavier. That's not due to being in a surplus. Um, but we would typically use those as a guide. And then obviously, again, you're auto-regulating. So if like, MG, let's say that you were on 400 grams of carbohydrate um, and then your fats were at 50 grams and your protein was consistent at 225, you know, we might keep that the same except for potentially the day before one of the changes that I make is I tend to pretty much reduce um, maybe even more than half of the fiber that we take in. And that's obviously to, to stop. We don't want anything heavy in our gut. We want to eat um, low volume based foods and we'll normally push in some potassium as well. So normally some white potato banana on the day of the show, because we're also going to be pushing in a little bit of sodium. So it's important to, to manage that electrolyte balance, but typically um, we'll slightly drop protein and that's purely just to aid in digestion and then, again, if you've got an athlete that <clears throat> has perhaps been eating fish in the lead up to it, we will sometimes, I'll, I like to use fish as a, as a protein source, fish or chicken, but purely because it's a really light protein source, not because it's the God to shreds and it thins your skin out or anything stupid like that. Like some people might. Hey, are you, but, but are you sure it doesn't do that? Are you sure? <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where it's super light. You, could, you can get your 40 or 50 grams of protein and feel like, I didn't even really eat anything. And so it just sits really, really well. And then you wake up just with no food in your stomach. You have a bowel movement, you know, after your breakfast and your coffee and you're as flat as a tack and all that carbohydrate is there. And then all you have to do is pump up. Yeah. And that's also another thing that Scott and I tracked during prep. We did track bowel movements, especially getting closer to show. Yeah. And I think that's really important because again, if you're, whether you're a coach or if you're a self-prepper and you're basing on your scale weight data, it can be very easy to just become married to the number that you see on the scale. But at the end of the day, it's not a scale weight competition. It's a physique competition. So you could lose yeah. four or 500 grams of body composition in a week of, of, of lipid and you would have no idea because your scale weight data doesn't tell you. But you also could have not had a bowel movement or you could have not slept well. So cortisol levels are high, which results in an increase in mineral corticoids, so you're holding onto more water. And as a result, you, you get some blurred data. So I think it's important to, again, look at it and, and anything that you can track and measure, bowel movements especially, they're going to give you a bit of an indication. And as weird as it sounds, sometimes even that data is pretty consistent. Like if you have a one, there might be one or two days in your week where you don't have a bowel movement. But again, you know, typically on a Friday, I do. And then I wake up Saturday and it's super light. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the one thing is the three of us tend to track and measure pretty much everything. Just takes all the risk out of it. Do you want to add anything to that, Michael? Yeah, I, I think one thing is is that, um, as Scotty said, like peak week is not some kind of magical week. 
Uh, a lot of people come in thinking peak week is going to be the hardest week. It's probably actually the easiest week, to be honest, because it's probably the week where you, you eat more food, you do less cardio, and your training is probably easier. So it's probably the easiest week of your prep, to be honest, uh, except mm -hmm. maybe from like a, a nerves and a stress perspective, because you know you're going to be on stage half yeah. naked. Um, but yeah, like let's let's talk about let's talk about food first for peak week, and then we could talk about the other the other ones. So. Yeah, like as Scotty said, digestion is going to be super important during that time. Try not to introduce any new foods. Uh, reducing fiber on the back end before you before you jump on stage. Obviously, you want to keep your midsection as flat as possible. No bloating, no little belly happening there. Um, so food selection is going to be super important. Even your carb up um, food selection should be the same. Try to be the same carbs that you've had throughout your whole prep. So nothing new there. Uh, you know, we already, he already mentioned water and sodium. There should be nothing fancy going on there. Everything's just pretty consistent. Um, you know, it, at least if anything, if someone's not having enough water, maybe you'd say, okay, we need to bump it up these next two weeks before show starts just to yeah. make sure we're hydrated enough. Um, but it yeah. should be nothing extreme. It shouldn't be like if someone's going from two liters, let's jump into six. Um, it should be just like, you know, just okay, <laughs> not, let's increase a liter. Right? You know what I mean? Like nothing crazy. Uh, same with salt intake. Should be nothing crazy unless they have they've been doing something really really wrong they haven't told you about the whole time. Uh, it, nothing should really change there too. And then obviously, of course, like leading up to the day, you don't want them ha to have a belly full of water because they're going to wet themselves. So yeah, maybe on the day of the show or a little bit before, you might say, okay, let's reduce a little bit so you just don't have this water belly and you don't feel like you need to go to the toilet every two seconds on the day because especially with females, it you know things can uh, wreck the tan. So just got to be careful. Um, but yeah, so from food selection and uh, water and sodium, I think we're all on the same page there. Uh, yeah. Carbing up. So everyone's really different. Um, I think because I work with females and Scotty's, some of his thing was obviously to do with males there, I think maybe the process is a little bit different or even more extreme. Uh, but for the females, I, I don't think it's as extreme as what people need to make it out to be. I actually, I really laugh when uh, some coaches show how many carbs they're peaking their bikini athlete on and I'm just like what for like they don't even need to be shredded and they haven't got a lot of muscle like what are you doing right um, all you're gonna all you're gonna have is just like a food belly on stage so I think people put too much emphasis on the carb up process especially for a female especially for specific categories um, but you know majority of the time let's just talk you know we talk majority but not all the time but it's going to be some kind of loading later in the week Right, it's going to be yeah. uh, lower carbs at the start of the week and loading later in the week. Um, how much carbs is going to depend on a lot of different factors, but normally it gets adjusted along the way as you get uh, feedback from the client, as you see what they look like, uh, scale weight and things like that. Um, so you normally always go in with a position, but that position always changes and maybe changes every day. Uh, but yeah, yeah most that was going to be my next question. Are you, are you assessing daily or? Yes. Yeah, assessing daily. Yeah, it's, I know Scott's the same. So. Yeah. Um, so, you know, general, generally the carbs will be later in the week. But, you know, I've had clients where they've been ready so early, the last two, three weeks of their comp prep is almost like a reverse, right? So you wouldn't even call it a peak week because they've already been eaten up and they're feeling awesome. Yeah. So yeah. everyone is different. You've got some people that, um, you know, they're more endomorph. Uh, so you wouldn't put them on as many carbs as what you would someone else. So there's sometimes you just look at someone's history, their body type, maybe what they were prior to even being fit and healthy, you know, you know what, what their body type was, and then that kind of makes a decision too on 
how hard you would push the carb up. Uh, so that's that. Uh, let's talk about cardio real quick. Normally that is tapered down um, towards uh, leading in peak week towards the end of the show. You know, you want to have more recovery. You want to restore the glycogen that's in your legs because normally they're trying to do steps or stair master or something. Uh, so you want to reduce that. And um, the last one was training. So training normally becomes easier towards the end. You don't want to go in there with any DOMs, a lot of fluid retention because you're inflamed because you've been training absolute ass off. You want to go in the show feeling pretty fresh. Um, yeah, we're, pretty good. we're trying to yeah. hold on to those carbs, not go in the gym and train like a beast and just waste all Yeah, that. Yeah. The only thing is, is that maybe um, the only thing I want to watch out for is that people aren't super lazy. Um, you know, like the day or two leading into the show, that they are still moving and not being a complete couch potato and just eating a lot of carbs. Uh, we still want them to be moving a little bit. And sometimes I will opt for uh, some kind of training or maybe a light circuit or something like that, maybe a day or two out. But other than that, yeah. it's, it should be a pretty easy week. It should be a pretty easy week. Should be practicing a lot of your posing and making sure Definitely. that's down pat because no matter how good you look, if you can't present it, it's going to be no good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Great information. Uh, I reckon what we'll do now, just for the sake of time, is we might get through some of the questions that have been put in the chat box. Um, so I might go back to you, Scotty. Uh, yeah, mate. First one being <clears throat> your expectation of a client or what are you looking for before agreeing to start a prep? Um, <clears throat> I guess it will be 10 yeah. seconds. <clears throat> no, you're right. Firstly, it would be a, a time commitment. Like if I've had consults before where someone said i want to compete and i want to do season b and this might be like in february and based on their photos where they're at their metabolic health and just their physique i don't think that there's enough time and it's worth going through that because if you're going to go through this process you want to present um <clears throat> the best version of yourself so i think by pushing things back it's never going to be a bad thing and so i think for me if someone's not willing you know if they're engaging in your services and they're asking for your professional opinion at the end of the day this is what we do full time so we've prepped you know hundreds of people and we've seen hundreds of people on stage so we know if, if we're saying to you that there's not quite enough time i think we need to look at let's focus on some training let's put some size in you let's improve metabolic health and then let's perhaps look at season a or season b next year if they're not open to that typically for me that's it's probably not someone that we're going to align all that well because they seem to be, you know, sort of very set in their way. But uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm probably fortunate enough. Most of the people that I come across are quite receptive, um, you know, you know, to that. But I think similar to you, MT, I'm sure that there's there's times where you might have a plan to say, look, we're going to do 2020. I've got guys that are planned for 2025 and 2024, uh, but that's not to say that. You know, sometimes things happen, life might happen, they might randomly decide to go to Europe for three months and then they lose a portion of their off-season, so it gets pushed back again. I think, you know, the advantage at the stage is always going to be there, but uh, I'd be keen to know, like, are you very similar in that regard? Yeah, completely, man. Like, um, obviously, yeah, the first thing I say to people whenever I chat to them on the phone is I want to know if they understand what getting ready for a They're show is. up for. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, like, how long it is, because some people think, I'll just engage a, co a coach just to do prep only and prep yep. goes for 12 weeks, right? And this is like, okay, cool. I just need to educate you this on a little bit. So, you know, sometimes planning for a show is like a year in advance, sometimes at a minimum, yeah. even, mm -hmm. if you, even if you're an, an amazing athlete because you've got to think about it, you know, a prep is going to be that, as I said, 16 to 26 weeks, let's call it, you know, four to six months. 
So there's already four to six months. Uh, and then before you start a prep, you want to make sure metabolism is in a good position, your habits are in a good position, and mm -hmm. um, your, your physique, your symmetry, your proportion, your muscle mass is all going to be enough to be competitive. So if all those boxes aren't ticked, and that's only the main three, you can't start a prep. And to tick those boxes <clears throat> may take three, six, or more months, right, before those boxes can be ticked. So we're just talking about just being in the best position to be your best on stage could be a 12-month process. So then, as you said, you take into consideration, do they have any trips coming up? Do they have any holidays? Uh, some people want to do a certain season over another because they socialize during a certain part of the year. So like I know mm -hmm. clients that would never do a season A because their, their summer and their start of the year and their January, February are just so social that there's no possible way they could prep for season A. So then that already throws that out the window, right? Um, so you have those kind of discussions too with them to decide when is the right time for them to prep. And I've had those tough dis discussions too when someone thinks they're ready and they can do it and you tell them, based on my experience and my knowledge, I don't think that's a good idea. And sometimes they go and they'll find another coach and that <clears throat> coach will take their money and then they'll come back to you later. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. And, and then you end up having to fix them. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up having to fix them. So, you know, yeah. I, I think... You know, having these kind of chats and these discussions and hopefully getting that information out there, you know, makes people understand that prepping for a show is longer than 12 weeks and um, getting a coach on board at that point in time too. It's, it's a longer process because things are really competitive and there's some really yeah, the good... Stand, the standard has evolved. The standard, like, yeah, the standard is yeah. awesome. So if you want to do a show and do well and be your best and look the part and be competitive... Sometimes it's going to take longer than what you think. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I yep, think yep. like always, you're yep. coming to a first consult and you, you're already eating, you know, rabbit food. Where <laughs> have you got to go? Like, yeah, 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 exactly right. And for those that haven't done a show, I think one of the things before, if I, if I, I typically like again to have at least work with someone for a minimum six to nine months prior to even potentially looking at doing um, a contest spread. But for me, the first sort of hoop to jump through before we can say, yep, this is something that we're definitely ready to do is actually putting them, you know, whether it's a mini cart before their pre-preparatory phase, but giving some, giving some guidelines, something that's really like structured and that we need to have 100% adherence. So if we're going to mini cart, we're going to run a cleanup phase for four or six weeks. Then if you're going out with your friends for your friend's birthday, you're not drinking alcohol and you're not staying out till 2 a.m., um, we're going out for dinner. You can eat before you go and then you'll have a long black because if you can't do that then, and you can't make a sacrifice for a four or five week period. It just solidifies that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But perhaps right now is not the right time for you to engage in something that, again, if you're going to do it to the level that you need to to be competitive, it requires a level of commitment. And again, okay. I'm probably at a stage now where I expect that because I think I go above and beyond, as I know you boys do for your athletes as well. So um, it's one of those things if I'm asking for a certain amount of effort from you, then of course you're going to get it from me. But it's a two-way street, and that's why there needs to be open dialogue. Yeah, that's that's really important. Like, I think us as coaches, us three, and I'm sure there's other people, we really want to put a good standard of competitor on stage, a really, really good quality. And it's because we really love the sport. We really want that. We want to really want to give the judges a really hard time, to be honest. Um, so they <laughs> yeah, can't no pick, right? Um, and sometimes you need to really see whether your client is committed to putting in the work that's involved to be of the best quality. Mm -hmm. um, and not to say that 
us as coaches, we try to make it as sustainable as it could possibly be and only make them do things that they really necessarily need to do. Um, so we're not trying to make it harder than what it really is, but it is, it's, it's hard. It requires sacrifice, it requires commitment, and it requires for sometimes to, to live a little bit of a different life that you're probably used to for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott, this is one that came up for you. What are some of the, the signals or signs that you're looking for when introducing things like a die break? So, <clears throat> firstly, for those that don't know, a die break is basically just like a multiple refeed day. So, a die break's not, <clears throat> we're going to take a week off and just eat whatever we feel like for a few days. Yeah, and the length of it will really determine, like, is three refeed days, I guess you could kind of say it's a die break, but it's really just eating at maintenance. But... It will come down to, again, I like to try and pre-plan one in if I can in advance. And it would normally be after about 11 to sort of 13 weeks of dieting where, you know, perhaps for the first eight weeks, it was a linear protocol where you, you were just digging and then we introduced a refeed. But typically, if I see that there um, is a bit of a drop in training performance, so again, I get all my athletes to log their training numbers, you know, what they got on literally every single set. And I analyze that data each week and I'll set projections for numbers we need to hit the next week. So if I can see that training performance is is going down uh, <clears throat> and you're continuing trying to dig, then sometimes even if you're not and you weren't scheduled to run a diet break, sometimes it's in your best interest to do so because if you're not getting the return on investment in the gym and everything else is, you know, is tending to, to pull you further away, it's better to give up a little bit of territory, feed them a little bit more food again, put them at, at where their maintenance um, level is. And that's also a good exercise to determine where their maintenance calories are because where they were at the start of prep to 12 weeks in are likely going to be a little bit different. But basically, the, the main things will be if they're having trouble sleeping, um, if their training performance is, is really lagging or if their just recovery is really, really bad. And again, you should know whether some of those things are normal at that stage as well. So if it's a first-time competitor and they're like four weeks out, all I can think about is food, I'm so hungry, yada, yada, yada. For all of us, we were like, well, that's really, really normal and this is the reason why because of, from a physiological uh, perspective, but we know and we have tools to be able to um, to mitigate that. But if you're a first-timer, then there are things that you need to learn and every prep you do, you know, you, you get better. But essentially, if, if there are signs that shouldn't be there, if you're eight weeks in and that you're needing to employ or six weeks you need to employ a diet break, I think there's, you need to assess, are they just really being a little bit too soft and they perhaps need to just like suck it up? You know, this is what we signed up for. It's normally a bit hungry, but if they're saying that they <laughs> feel like shit, they can't sleep, their training's really, really they bad, everything else is really bad, they can't function, um, then I guess it would come down and you also have to assess what are their low days like? Like if you've got someone eating a female eating 1,600 calories and they're like, I just can't do this. Then you're like, well, if you're struggling now, we've still got eight or nine kilos to lose and we're six or eight weeks in, then just as a heads up, it's going to get four or five times worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So if you're not willing to embrace that suck, then, you know, perhaps, and there's nothing wrong with that, then maybe it's not for you. That's very rare that, yeah. that you know, that that happens. But for the most part, it's normally going to be on um, just... I guess the biomarkers that they're giving you, how they're feeling, and also just looking at how training performance is is trending. Yeah, I think Scott, one of the things you and I spoke about was like, if you're regularly hungry in prep, you're on the way to burning some fat tissue. 
Yeah, man. And that's literally <laughs> how, as bad as it sounds at the back end, when I'm like, all I think, I'm so hungry. I'm like, I'm getting so shredded right now. Because you know that hunger is a sign that obviously there is not enough energy available to fund your daily expenditure. So your body is using um, is using adipose tissue to fuel your energy demand. So in your head, I'm like, I'm getting shredded. It's shredded. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Fat free. Yep. Fat free. Uh, I just want to ask a couple more questions that came through that I thought you may or may not have an answer to this, but I'll ask this to both of you. I might start with you, MT. Looking back at the start of your career as a coach, look back now knowing what you know and think that you, you gave some bad advice back then? Oh, you cut out a little bit. So you, you said, if I look back now at my whole career, like do you think... to the start, knowing what you know now, like, do you think that potentially you could have given out any bad advice when you first started? Um... I don't know, bad, like detrimental advice, but I could have given out better, better advice, of course, because I'm a lot better coach I am now than I was back then. But I don't think I gave out any advice that was bad and was detrimental and I shouldn't have given and it didn't give the result we wanted because I'm pretty happy with all the results I've gotten so far with everyone. Um, I think I did something like, you know, potentially feeding into some of the bro mythology or like, you know, maybe there was a more efficient way to do it that we know now that we didn't know back then. Um, I think there's some things I did with training that I'm like, I probably didn't even do that. It wasn't really necessary. So I know there was like a big thing about like number of sets you needed to do per muscle group, per workout, per blah, blah, blah. And, um, I probably went a little bit, I don't want to say I want to on the top end of that. And I don't think I needed to with some of my exercises and some of the things I did. Um, that's from a training perspective, from a food perspective, I think now, I don't think I gave any bad advice, but I think now I'm just very, I'm very meticulous in what people do with their food. Whereas back then I was probably like, yeah, meal plan, sweet, give you that. Or yeah, if yeah, it's macros, you want do, yeah. do your thing. Uh, yeah. Now I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm looking at everything you do. Yeah. So I think a, like that's kind of changed a little bit. Um, but I don't think I gave out any like bad advice or like, whoa, that was bad. I, I, I should never have done that. <laughs> Never done. Scott, Scott, let me ask you this. What would you say to anyone who is not tracking and measuring their lips? Uh, I think you're missing a pretty big piece to, to the puzzle. So I think if you're truly a, a, a lover of bodybuilding, you understand both sides of it. There's the, the period of getting shredded, which I feel like as guys, we perhaps find it a little bit easier to be able to, you know, so even, you know, you, MG, you've just finished prep. And you've managed your recovery like a pro. You've got no dramas. You understand that you need to gain some fat mass in order to be able to do what you need to do in the gym to make the improvements that you need to make. So yeah. I think uh, I think that definitely makes it a lot easier if you can separate uh, the two. But if you're not tracking, and again, I have a, a, a philosophy, if you can't measure it, you can't manipulate it. But if you don't know what you're lifting, and not that our loads determine how much more you know contractile tissue that we accrue, but it's a pretty good indicator. So if you're deep in your off season and you're pulling numbers, if you're, whether it's a deadlift or you're pressing or whatever it is, and you're doing things that you weren't even close to doing, you know, 12, 12 months or 14 months earlier, you know that obviously you're training in, in, in the right direction. And I think yeah. it's, it's more so important um, in the off season to track those numbers because it can be very easy to be complacent. And that's where I think you're either, if you're a part-time bodybuilder, you sort of just go in, 
you don't really have a plan. I'll do a bit of shoulders. I'll do a bit of chest. Whereas I think if you've pre-planned, you've pre-planned and programmed your volume allotment, what you're going to do, you might change a few bits and pieces on the fly. But I think it's important to have that structure and to be that methodical because that allows you each pr- progression and each mesocycle should transition into the next, into the next. So yeah. I think if you're not if you're not tracking your numbers, yeah. um, you know you you potentially just you're not doing things as optimally as you could. You're doing it kind of half-assed. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Uh, there's actually a question that kind of leads a little bit on from that. It says, what post-comp protocols do you use to make sure your client's hormone levels go back to their baseline post-comp? Well, <clears throat> if we have the option to get blood markers prior or pre-prep and then post, um, which, you know, we, we did that. And as to be expected, you know, testosterone is normally pretty much in the toilet um, when you first finish a contest prep. But... <clears throat> Again, there's no magic time frame or 400 grams of carbohydrate for males on a four-week protocol is going to return testosterone to baseline levels or you're just going to feel amazing. It just comes down to the individual. But again, yeah, you have to understand. And it depends also how lean they got. You know, in your case, you know, you, as we like to say, you were fat-free, man. You were shredded to the bone. So it's, I don't expect you to hormonally, physically, yeah. even though you're like, I feel pretty good. In, in eight weeks' time, you'd be like, man, I feel so much better yeah. than I did when we did that um, that, that yeah. live because you just you don't know quite what you're feeling. So I think it's important. Reversing to an extent is helpful, but if someone's been truly shredded, then you don't want to reverse them out. Recovery diet, put some instant fat mass on, feed them, get them to train, and, and then it's important to, to check in, you know, looking at hormonally, you know, for guys and for girls who are looking at their libido, you know, at the back end of prep, it's non-existent. You know, if you're... If that starts to change, then obviously you know that you're training in the right direction. You know, even, again, as we spoke about, I think it's important, you know, as we get older to check in with our partners. You know, we go through the endeavor of getting shredded. It's such a selfish sport and it requires so much um, focus around us as individuals. It's important to check in with your partner and in prep and also out. So if you're four weeks out, uh, four weeks post-show, you can be like, do I seem any, any different? Do I feel like I'm a little bit more upbeat? I feel like I'm good. And they might be like, yeah, a, a little bit or maybe not. So sometimes you can be oblivious because we kind of just have tunnel vision but the way get, we you are. You get used to it as well, don't you? You, you just you get used to that you, feeling. You, you do, yeah. You adapt to yeah. the, that life of just feeling shitty and you forget what it's like. And you might not think that you talk a bit slower and you maybe don't have as much enthusiasm in your voice. But, you know, <laughs> Michael Trimbola, you guys might catch up on a Sunday and, and kick it at his joint by the pool and he's having a conversation and you're like, huh, what, what did you say, man? Like, I missed that. Because you got so much brain fog. Yeah, versus six weeks or eight weeks later, he's like, man, you're a different person. For sure. And I think I said to you, you know, three or four weeks post-show that I felt fantastic. And then when I got my buds done and they still weren't recovered. So I was already mm-hmm. feeling better, but hadn't quite recovered from a hormone perspective yet. So, yeah. And again, it's, it's important. And I think it's important as well if you're having these conversations. So... Again, like we had discussed before your first show, just so we know, this is roughly what our recovery protocol is going to look like. And again, it helps that you're obviously very educated so you understand from a physiological perspective, when you, when you go down to that, that level of composition, there's always going to be some recoil. And especially when you know, we don't have pharmacy aid to help um, keep things on a certain level as natural. So... It's, it's one of those things, as cliche as it sounds, it's just time and then, and then consistency and doing what your coach prescribes you to do and not being like, oh, fuck, I went out and had burgers last night, so now I'm going to have a low day and do cardio today. 
Whereas if I have people do that, I'm like, just eat, don't worry about it. it, pick up where you left off. Because Otherwise you're just all, you're, the all you're doing is you just, yeah, you're just digging digging the hole deeper again than we need to. We, we, we want to fill it up and just get back to normal. Definitely. Yeah, so man. guys, I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Um, uh, both the other boys will be happy. If anyone's got any questions that you'd like to hit us up off there, just send us a DM. Uh, we'll definitely try and get both of them back on at some stage. Um, but I'd like to thank both of them for taking their time on a on an evening. I know you both worked all day, so thank you so much. And uh, thanks for all your wealth of knowledge and experience. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. It was awesome. Well, we've got to do it again. Welcome, man. Yeah, absolutely. Take I, think, care. I think jumping on and have a chat with everyone was really good. So good to see you, boys. You too, mate. Thanks, guys. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. See See you guys.